I think every Sunday during the children's sermon, when I give out the right treat, everybody understands, become as a child or a little child, right? Then you understand Jesus put him, I want to be a little kid again. Why? Because we get candy or something. I know. All right. Uh, great text. Great text. I want to focus on it, and, and uh, we're focusing a little bit on So if you turn your Bibles, don't have a Bible, just raise your hand. The, elder, or the ushers will bring one down. Just wave a hand up there and hold it up till they see you, and they'll bring you something. Uh, right here. Anyone else? Don't be afraid. I mean, but, you know, <clears throat> keep them if you need them, by the way. This is an interesting little section. It's about the scribes and the Pharisees making an observation again, and, uh, and uh, it's, it's an external thing. It's uh, not easy. I mean, it's, it's not always easy to understand, but so many times we get focused on externals. Uh, do you raise your hands? Do you not raise your hands? How do you pray? How don't you pray? How do you dress? How do you look? What do you do? We get fo- externals, externals are just too easy to focus on. Because sometimes they just kind of smack us. You know, the first time you see somebody with purple hair, you go, whoa. The first time you see someone with something pierced through their eyes, nose, ears, and everything else, you go, oh, my goodness. It's hard not to do that. It's hard because, uh, you know, in many cases we're trained to think and react and respond. We look at people's faces, eyes, and everything else like that. In many cases that protects us. If someone's walking up to you with their eyes scowling, chances are they're going to fight you. And uh, so we learn to look at external things on the one hand to protect us. On the other hand, it's most useful also to get past what we just call the external thing and start examining the heart, which is kind of the lesson that we are going to focus on a little bit here. If you notice in chapter 15, uh, the confrontation goes very quickly with the elders walking up, or excuse me, the Pharisees and uh, scribes walking up to Jesus and says, uh, how come you break, you let your, your disciples break the the cleansing, the ritual hand-washing that was appropriate. The Jews were very clean people. It was considered appropriate and uh, dignified and traditional to wash hands, not just for sanitary reasons, but uh, it, was a, it was a point of refer- reverence. And, uh, and Jesus turned it on them and he said, well, let me ask you the example. Uh, how come you guys take all of your money and wealth and say it's dedicated to God? And when your mother and father are hungry or starving, you say, I have nothing for you. Get away from me. Everything I have has been dedicated to God. And he said, you break God's law uh, and command of taking care of your parents by setting up a new religious rule. Now, have you ever met people like this? We all do this to some degree. You get this kind of religious attitude. And, and, and every one of us can do it. You, you kind of establish a criteria, some standard, and you believe that that's the standard that everybody must achieve. And, and you stop looking at the heart and examining people's heart, and you start just looking at that standard. And, uh, you know, that's frequently external, and pretty soon you forget exactly what you're all about, and that situation gets worse and worse and worse until finally you find yourself in the same trap as the hypocrites and the scribes and the Pharisees that Jesus is addressing right now. Anyway, Jesus uh, nails them, and he starts in verse 7, You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. These people honor me with their lips, their hearts are far from me, they worship me in vain, their teachings are the rules taught by men. Now that's the front part, I want to focus on the second half of what was read to you. Their teachings are the things taught by men. I want to suggest to you that every one of us develops 
different doctrines and teachings that aren't always from the Lord. There are prejudices from our parents, from our moms, our dads. There are perspectives about what is or isn't acceptable. There are perspectives that have nothing to do with Scripture. I mean, I've met people that say, if you don't have an organ in church, you haven't got a good church. And I've met people that say, if you have an organ in church, you have a bad church. I've met people that can't stand hymns. I've met people that can't do without hymns. You understand? You won't find any of those things written in Scripture. They're all doctrines, teachings, that people have kind of attached kind of dumped on God's word, and then they have kind of this religious overtone to them. They have this religious connotation. And and pretty soon, what happens is we begin to hold people accountable to our religious point of view. We begin to establish that unless they behave in this standard and follow this pattern and have this kind of instrument or this kind of music or that kind of behavior, that certainly they can't be appropriate before God. And it doesn't matter where I go, and I'm not going to suggest I don't have the same prejudices. All I want to say is, it's time for us to examine ourselves, test our prejudices, to make sure that when we're doing what we're doing, establishing some criteria, evaluating the people around us, looking at our own sons and daughters, that we're not staring at that which is external, but we are staring at the thing that matters, which is the heart. And it's the heart of the man or woman that matters rather than that which is external. And we many times have to get past that. In our culture, we can be terribly offended by what somebody dresses like, acts like, or behaves like. Even if they come knocking in our door with a bag open. And I go, test the heart before you dare to throw anything at them or take anything away from them. Your job is to say, oh God, show me their heart. Now, you learn from the children's sermon, I was trying to get you and I to do that, even when people are short-tempered with us, or even when people are behaving in ways that are less than obedient and less than sensitive to us, you've got to stop and say, Lord, show me my boss's heart. Show me my son's heart. Show me the situation of what's really happening in the heart of the people. Because until I understand their heart, I can't begin to do a thing for this kid. It doesn't matter who Aaron represented. The truth is, I come to church with baggage and so do you. The truth is, we come with certain amounts of things. One Sunday, everything is cool and fine. The next Sunday, we've had one of those situations driving into the parking lot with one of our kids or our husband or wife or whatever it might be. And this Sunday, the kids are twice as tired as they've ever been. Nothing's working and we're in totally different moods. And you have to slow down enough to understand when people talk with you, you can't react to the thing that's said or just the surface response or behavior. You've got to get deeper. You've got to understand, unless you're asking yourself that second question, you can make a totally wrong response and you can become part of Aaron's problem rather than a portion of some of the solution of it. So as you begin to look at what Aaron represented, if we're not taking the time to understand why is that person in front of me moving around? Why are they asleep? Why are they awake? No one knows what you had last night. I have people coming to church who worked third shift, just got off work at 7 or 8 o'clock and made the decision they're still going to come to church and I'm going to demand of them to have the same alertness as everybody else. 
There are some times when we're just plain old depressed. Our eyes and our hearts are heavy. Life is not pleasant. We broke up with somebody. Their lives are not turning out. We're carrying more burdens than we possibly could ever carry and know what to do with. And they walk into the fellowship or they walk into your life or into a class or whatever it is. And they're carrying things that you have to slow down enough to listen to. Because God is not asking us to judge that which is on the outside. God is asking us to examine the heart of the people that we're with. And to do that, you have to slow down enough. You've got to shut down all of that judgmental thing that kind of creeps into all of our lives. And you've got to enter into the Spirit so that the Spirit can give you different eyes. So I walk up to Aaron or the equivalent in my life and I say, You okay? Did I say something that offended you? I really uh, just, I don't want to be a part of whatever's going on. Why don't you just take the day off? Why don't you take a break? Why don't you, how can I help? And sometimes you can't. I've had kids walk into my class, tears all in their eyes. You can tell they've been crying for the last hour. Is there anything I can do? No. Is there anything we can pray about? No. Which means leave me alone, right? And you're, you're talking with 30 other kids in the class. Sometimes that's the best answer. Just leave me alone right now. And, uh, but the whole class knows they've been crying. And you've got a situation on your hands. I go, then I go through a kind of a sequence. Would you like, a, would you like to just go down and uh, talk to somebody? No, no. Would you like to just go out in the hallway and sit and talk with a friend or something? And just, and all of a sudden they'll go, yeah, I really would like that. And I say, who would you like to do that with? And they'll pick somebody or two people. I say, go ahead. You see, if you slow down enough, the ministry opportunity you have is totally different than if you react. Who are you to be interfering with my class time? Who are you to come home and talk to your mother that way? Who are you to speak to me in that tone of voice? And if you're old enough and you understand what I'm about to say, it's time for you to ask the question, maybe my dad had a terrible day at work. Maybe my mom's struggling with something right now. And maybe she's on my back because of some fear or some things she learned. And maybe I shouldn't just pick up and react to her with all of my adolescent or immature behavior. Maybe I can grow up the same way I want her to grow up treating me. And that becomes what you have to understand is going on as part of the process in this section. Now look at verse 10. Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen and understand. What goes into a man's mouth doesn't make him unclean. It's what comes out of his mouth that makes him unclean. And he sends a very simple message, okay? He says, this is the thing that's reflecting the heart, and you, you don't stare at that which is external, which is what he feeds himself. And so the Pharisees had gotten focused on the external. Jesus has rebuked them. Now he's teaching a lesson to the people. And he says, it's not what goes in, it's what, come, excuse me, what comes out. Then the disciples came to him and said, do you know that the Pharisees were offended? Offended means they were enticed to sin. They were indignant. Uh, who are you to talk to about us that way? Because they knew Jesus was nailing them on their doctrine. They knew that he was talking about them. He, they knew, I am going to talk to you. You have set yourself up. It's like walking up and saying, you can't sing any more hymns. And I go, what? And you must only sing this kind of music. And I go, what Bible are you reading? Or do you think the church is all about you? Or unless people see things every way exactly like I do, that they couldn't possibly be a gift to the church. 
And I go, where do I get that attitude from? You understand? Whenever we get that kind of exclusivity, exclusivity, that's a weird word, it's not coming out of my head. Exclusivity. There we go. Exclusivity in our attitude, we get ourselves into significant trouble. We begin to outlaw and push people away that really God has brought into the church. Yeah, they worship a little different unit. Yeah, they dance or yeah, they stand there. Who are you to be raised up by God to shout them down for one reason or another? You see, at that point, you've gone to that next step, and that's what Jesus is addressing. He said, it goes on, he says, he replied this. Do you not, or the Pharisees, I'm sorry, the disciples come, do you not know the Pharisees were offended when they heard this? He replied, every plant that my heavenly Father has not planted will be pulled up by the roots. Ignore them. Leave them. Uh, They are blind guides. And if a blind man leads a blind man, both will fall into the pit. That's not an easy word. You know, when you're you're a scribe or a Pharisee and you're being addressed as a blind leading the blind, when he is speaking to them, he says, do you have doctrines that you're perpetrating upon people as godly? Are you passing your prejudices onto your children, laying on them a sense of, of this guilt or this point of view, but it has no anchoring in God's word, it just happens to be your prejudice? And have your children accumulated your prejudice and not understood that there's nothing in Scripture to support that? But it happens to be your perspective. It happens to be how you were raised. It happens to be what your father or mother influenced you up. You've got to keep remembering, God is calling us to be obedient to His moving. And when the church is obedient to the work of the Spirit, then these divisions, these cliques, these attitudes, these additions to God's Word disappear. We don't keep adding more stuff to God's Word, establishing more rules. Uh, remember, I always like to teach you, everything we do on Sunday morning is touchable. So if you walk in here next Sunday and you're in a circle, that's touchable. You can have church in a circle. You can have church standing up, sitting down in the cold, in the warm. You can have church with women on one side and men on the other. You can do any number of things. Don't suddenly establish that this is the only way you can do a church properly. Don't think we got to have exactly four songs. they got to be sung. they got to be of this style, that format, or anything else. Those things we accumulate. The traditions of men. That's what happened to the Pharisees. They accumulated these traditions. Would the church service be able to go on if we forget to light the candles? <gasps> well, of course not. Because you can't have the Lord's presence unless you have a candle burning. I read that somewhere in Hesitations 2 or something, right? <laughs> you know? And in Harmon 3, you all have to dress nicely. Because you can't go to church if you're not dressed nicely. And Right? We have these little doctrines and these little prejudices and these little preferences. And it's not just because you're an old guy you get them. You get them when you're a little kid. You can accumulate them when you're 4, 5, 6, 10 years old. Oh my goodness, do you understand? It's not a good children's sermon unless we have... Treat. Yeah. See how they begin? I didn't mean to do that. I got the big kids look at me during the treat time and they always roll their eyes and they stick out their lip going, Where's ours? Right? And so you begin to understand. We have all these things, they stick to us. The scribes and the Pharisees are not hated by Jesus. He just says, ignore that. All right? 
He doesn't want, he said that kind of stuff should be uprooted. That kind of false teaching is uprooted. Pull it out. Don't let it sustain itself. Yank it out by the roots. Now, God could mean one of two things here. One is that God wants to uproot false doctrine in your heart. Prejudices you've accumulated. I want you to at least start with that one. Because you have them. There are perceptions of what prayer is or isn't, and, and church is or isn't, and worship is or isn't. And, and I'm going, we, we so much limit God by our heritage or by what we're used to, right? All right, we're all going to stand up. We're going to dance before Jesus today. Whoa! I don't like dancing. I don't even go to weddings and dance with my wife. They were going to dance in front of Jesus. I remember, I think I shared with you before, the first time I saw Christians get up and dance before the Lord. And I'm sitting there like this, you know, viewing myself as somewhat of a okay kind of cool guy. I wasn't, by, you know, a lot of those illusions you live with for a while. And, uh, and we're at this resurrection service. This, these crazy Christians. You know what they did? They had this vigil. Can you believe it? They went out into the into this huge field and woods, and they hung out together, and they prayed, and they fasted from, can you believe this, Good Friday night till Easter sunrise morning. Well, I had never met anybody that holy. I go, well, these must be kooks, right? Right, what do you do with that? If it's not something I'm used to, we build those walls. We get those little tingly things going up and down, and, and I'm going, now, of course, I laugh at it. But at the moment, I was, oh, this is making me so uncomfortable. It should be about me. Isn't the church all about Bruce? Isn't it how Bruce feels? And God's going, you know, like this. I didn't know God was smiling at me, but he was. And so then, then as sunrise starts to come, you know, these people stand up. And they're just praising. They're just celebrating. They're just dancing. And I'm just going, oh, thank you, Jesus. You know, cool. And I'm going, I could not. Until finally, what God finally breaks through, whatever that is. What is it? Prejudice, perspective, fear, training, illusion, theology, all the things that kind of make our heads up. And God says, get off your butt and sing. Lift up your hands. Nobody cares what you're doing right now. Because, right, we always, at the wedding, right, don't you assume everybody's watching you? Right? Oh, I, and... You know, there are always people watching, but who cares after a while, right? What a script, you know, dance before God and just celebrate the presence of God. And I go, that was that first moment I begin to go, oh, Jesus, what are you trying to stretch me into? And, I, 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 you know, I, God has always had to stretch me. I use that word because he does that to me every day, every single day. That Aaron experience, I got kids like that in my class every day. Every day I got to say, Jesus, you first, not me. You first, Jesus, because you have something you're going to work in this kid's life. If I can just ask Jesus what he wants to do, God may turn that whole class into the best class those kids have in the entire year because this kid opens up and says what the Spirit wants him to say. And he cries with the rest of the class. And for the first time, the whole class just goes, no one makes a sound. And you know when no one is making a sound, when you can't even hear a cleared throat or all the coughs are... (coughs) Like this. You know God is working on these people's hearts. You know that what's being said is at a totally different level than me going, nye, 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 nye. right? But you've got to slow down enough. 
we kind of see that moment as something horrible. God whispers and says, why do you think that's horrible? Wasn't that a horrible feeling I experienced so uncomfortable around all these dancing Christians? Wasn't it a horrible feeling? Yes. And I'll do that to you whenever I can. i got to warn you about that. What is horrible in that one moment becomes laughable and humorous and a day of celebration one or two or ten years later.